We have a special guest in the house today, everyone. Um, I'm really excited to have Haley Myers joining us. We're gonna talk business, because that's what we do here, balance of family, but also really dig in on the mental health of our children. And I don't care if that means a child that's 17 or 18, or a child that's five, or a child that's seven like mine. I still call my little boy my baby. And uh, what a better time to really wrap our heads around this topic that a lot of people get uncomfortable about. And then also about the opportunity in this season to build a business on something that you're called in to do. So Haley, welcome to the show. Thank you, happy to be here. Yes, I'm so glad to have you here. Why don't you give us a little background on who you are, what you do? All right, well like Jess said, my name's Haley. I am a licensed clinical social worker. Right now I am working in schools, but I got my start working in group homes with severely traumatized young girls. And since then, I have been working with families who've experienced a lot of different traumatic events. Also worked in adoption, so working on getting families certified to be foster parents. And now I've landed in the schools. I also had a while this year where I had my own private practice and looking at possibly opening that up again, so. Yeah, that's amazing. So uh, there's a lot of things that, gosh, we've known each other for a while. Um, Haley's a client of mine, and one of the things I love about the community at Winx Fitness is that it literally is a community where we get to build relationships. It's far more than the workout. That's a component to it, but the relationships that are facilitated inside and how much we can grow from each other and learn from each other, excuse me, and just being able to like really dig in into the stories of where people are at and how we can help one another get to that next place that we're going. It excites me to talk about business and opportunity. Obviously this, um, some of the stuff we'll talk about is gonna be heavy hearted, you know? Um, A lot of times people wanna avoid those conversations and I'm always like, you know what, let's tackle it. And so I'm excited to go to some some of those places today with you. (laughs) Yes, and while you're talking, it reminded me of how far I've come since day one and getting here to be your client. I remember seeing you on Instagram and thinking, I just need to be around this person. (laughs) I need this kind of environment, this kind of person in my life. And then it opened the doors up to this whole community. And this year I did take some time off and boy, did I really feel the effects of that, of not having the community and being back has reignited those things, those desires, those like looking forward to the future. And it's amazing how when you surround yourself with the right people, how your mindset changes. I don't think people give enough credit or value to everywhere you invest time is an investment into you are, or it's a, you know, you're taking something away, right? There's either a deposit or withdrawal. Mm And unfortunately, I think a lot of people spend time in spaces and communities where it's more of a withdrawal than a deposit. And so I love hearing that in a gym space, because that's what this is here, there's still deposits in so many other areas of a person's life Mm -hmm. to know that you could come in and work out, but then also be inspired to dream again or to go after those things that you know are meant for you. Sometimes you just got to run with people that that speak the right language, you know? And um, I think that's probably been one of my favorite things over cultivating this in 15 years is that it started from a place where I was really fear-based living, grieving, not understanding my emotions, mental, mentally not there. Um, people just didn't talk about these things. And all I knew is that working out made me feel better and you know, you get clarity of mind and then all of a sudden you start dreaming again and all of a sudden you understand that you can create this life and then you can do it with people that you love and admire. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously there's peaks in the valleys as you go, right? Anytime you build something, there's a lot of people that, not a lot of people, there's 1% of those people, (laughs) but they're loud that might not support you or they talk from fear. And so we'll tackle some of those things as well. Um, talking about where we're at right now, just in general as, um, 
you know, the season in general that everyone's in and mental health is just so big on my heart because of having a husband that's a first responder and knowing the kind of calls that he's gone on with these children and also mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers. Um, nobody gets a ticket that makes them not somebody that's eligible to experience some kind of grief from somebody that has a mental illness. Right. And um, if you haven't experienced it firsthand, you know, statistically it shows in your lifetime, you'll probably know someone that has experienced, you know, dealing with this. And so let's talk prior to COVID. Let's just talk to 2000. <laughs> let's talk 2018. I feel okay. like everyone was really good in 2018. Yeah. It like was things a good were, year. it was a good year. Yeah. How was like mental health with our children then? And what kind of things did you see when you were seeing children back then? You know, it's interesting. I, I think, I mean, people are always surprised to hear the things that I've seen, especially the schools that I'm currently working in are in the I'll just say richer areas, so they are higher on the social economic status. So people assume they don't have issues, they don't have needs, which is so far from the truth. I just always say they're just more well hidden. Mm. And you talk about people avoiding feelings and avoiding issues. It, it runs rampant in these communities. And so I'm finding, even back then, I had as young as first grade, fourth grade students wanting to harm themselves seriously, not wanting to be on this earth. And it was more rare then, I will say that. Um, and the caseload I had was pretty manageable. I was serving four or five schools sometimes, but I had support, you know, I could go around, I could do groups, I could go into classrooms, um, but still a lot of really covered up needs. So when you say covered up, does that take a little bit longer for you to get to the issue when you're in front of a client? Right. So when I get a kid on my caseload, they come to me because there's a behavior issue. Okay. So we start seeing the kids acting out they, or they start withdrawing. So they might stop listening to the teacher. They might call out. They might be the silly ones, uh, the ones who just aren't turning in homework suddenly. Um, not really communicating well with their peers. And then once I would bring them into a session, start playing a game, hey, let me get to know you, out comes this family trauma, this family stuff that's going on that they're keeping so tightly wound up inside their little minds, it's bleeding out in their yeah. behavior. Wow, it's really sad. So you obviously have been doing this. You're in group homes, 2018. Everyone's living their best life. And then we hit this pandemic. What happens in regards to your caseload prior pandemic to pandemic? And how has that had a rippling effect in your personal life and in your family? Right. So during the pandemic, we, of course, went to distance learning in schools. That's a hot topic. Yeah. <laughs> so... That was a challenge because the behaviors, quote unquote, then became this student's not showing up to our Zoom class. Can you can you figure out what to do? Well, I'm at home too. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. And when you've built a career on being able to reach those who are technically or deemed unreachable, I felt kind of worthless in my position, which yeah. really led to some depression, for, to be honest, yeah. in my own career because I felt like, I can't even reach these kids. What am I even doing? Mm. And they were lost. There were just kids not showing up, and there was real. There was nothing we could do. Um, I did do some home visits, but it was like you know, if they wanted to come out of the house, they would, and sometimes they wouldn't. Yeah. And they had every right to do that. So we were seeing some extreme, extreme isolation, and kids who had largely never really dealt with anything that big. Some had not really dealt with it. Some had never really developed any emotional regulation skills or they used social activities with peers, sports, things like that to keep them from feeling feelings. All that stripped away, they have nothing. They have no yeah. skills to support themselves. Yeah. 
So how does that impact your workload when you guys, the schools open back up? So there's so many different transitions that I've had a front row seat to watching you navigate. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I don't think people really honestly understand the magnitude and impact of what's happening right now to our children. Yeah. You know, so now I'm serving six schools because part of this um, mental health crisis is that we are also down in staff. Mm -hmm. So we are missing so many instructional assistants, teacher positions. We are down a staff just in my program. So I'm serving six schools. Some of those schools have some extra support, but several of them don't. So I feel the responsibility and the weight of literally thousands of children who are misbehaving. They have lost a lot of the social skills that they have had. They're blurting things out. They just have very zero very little tolerance for staying in class, for following the rules. They have a lot of emotions going on inside, but they don't know how to communicate them. Yeah. And I can't get to all of them. I cannot even begin to think about how I would do that. And then I have the expectations of the, the principals and the teachers. They all want the best for their kids. And I'm the one that they all come to. And again, it goes back to feeling ineffective. Now I have so much to do. It's hard to even tackle yeah. a small chunk of it. Right. So definitely it messes with my mind as well. Just being wanting to be that support, wanting to be a team player, wanting to do everything I can leading to this place where I don't have, I'm, I can't set any boundaries. Yeah. Or if I were to try, it would take me all day just to set the boundary to get to be able to do my job. You know, it's a really hard situation to be in for me, let right. alone the kids that are dealing with all of these things. You know, you and I have talked about um, the importance of therapy. Like I personally am an advocate. I I do really well when I have, and, and therapy doesn't look like always a therapist. Sometimes a therapist is a mentor on a project you're working on, you know, where they're helping you navigate in the business world. But at therapy in general, I mean, I'm always invested in that. Even when I didn't have money as a single mom and was grieving the loss of my mom and raising kids, the money that I would make and hustle for on the side went into my therapy to help me ground. And I just, it's the best investment. I never look back and regret the extra hours put in to pay for that because it made me understand who I am. Right. And right now, speaking to what you're saying, I'm having conversations with mothers and fathers and just last this last friday i sat down with somebody and we were talking business and she said you know what i used to be really funny i mean this is out of the blue we're talking investments and i'm like you still are and she's like no she's like i actually had to look at my partner and say i've lost all my humor because i'm working from home so she's not engaging with people right and so she's like i literally like try to talk to him and I just don't have the humor that I used to. I'm not witty. And she had tears in her eyes. And she's like, I told him I need to go back in the office. Like, I need to do that. I'm losing character now. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm always inspired in those conversations that when somebody would be able to stop for a second and do that self-reflection to understand that so that they could reverse it, fix it, heal from it, whatever that looks like. But it's, apl it's applicable to all of us. I mean... I'm in a business where I am, you know, with you guys and talking, but there are days where the isolation is just the same for me. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that I think can be scarier is that when you're in a room full of people and you feel isolated mm -hmm. because you're got your battle going on that you cannot talk about. And so circling this back around to therapy, we deal with it in our own home. We have a child that needs therapy and a, and a parent that opposes the therapy, mm -hmm. which I know that sounds insane. I hope that if you're listening to this, <laughs> that that sounds so insane right. because it should, mm -hmm. um, because it's not bad. But the fact of the matter is, is that we, we are fighting to get the therapy. Right. Yeah, there's there's two things that come up and there's so many barriers first to people accessing therapy. I myself as a therapist, this is the first time I've ever been in therapy, which I started in October. 
And I knew what would happen if I went. I would have to uncover all my childhood trauma. I'd have to learn about all of the patterns that I have, that why I do the things that I do. And that's a really scary place to be in. But being a therapist, again, I know on the other side of it. And currently, I'm learning to take charge of my life in different ways. But when you're in the thick of it, it is so difficult Mm -hmm. to to work so hard for something and not know what's going to happen on the other side. If I let one thing out, one secret, one one trauma, it's all going to come flooding. Yeah. But that's also part of a good therapist's role is to prevent that flooding, but right. um yeah, so there's there's a lot of avoidance and yeah. and setting yourself around the right people Finding a good therapist can help you increase that self-awareness. Not everyone has that. Right. You know, I always tell, I have a friend who's also a therapist and we talk about, well, why doesn't, you know, my boyfriend or why doesn't my girlfriend like notice these things about themselves? And like, you have to remember, we're therapists. We're very self-aware. So, <laughs> um, so with saying that, I, one thing that really comes to mind is that, um, when you're seeking therapy or a therapist and it's been brought to my attention that you can be over the age of 12. Yes. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because there are a lot of things that I am not okay with when it comes to that. I've also heard that you can go and get vaccines, get abortions. I know there's a lot of things that come with this this 12-year-old age limit. Right. And I was blown away that for myself and my husband, we're fighting for somebody that's over that age, mm-hmm. that we have sat in front of therapists in tears and been denied that because we haven't had a dual partnership with the other side in the parenting. Mm-hmm. We had somebody that opposed it and then we wanted it. So then guess who got refused the therapy? The child. Right. Which in my opinion, it never made sense because the client is not, not us. It's not the parents, it's the child. Right. And so... Over the years, I've just always thought, man, the system is failing the child if they're getting caught up in this, where they're being withheld from therapy based on parents that can't figure it out. And let's just be honest, there's a lot of parents that can't figure it out. So I think that you nailed it when you said, one, they don't want to be, you know, people don't want to be exposed, Mm -hmm. right? And um, I know that just within the last year, learning these rights that children have Mm -hmm. when they're 12. Right blew me away right so it's called the age of consent and doctors have this rule therapists where if it is deemed unsafe for the child or the parent to know about a procedure um, about therapy then the parent wouldn't be contacted or in a therapeutic situation the therapist is taking on that liability and that understanding. So that may be why some therapists choose not to. Maybe they have um, a policy in their agency, but a Mm -hmm. private practice person can choose to take a client or not based on that allowance in the rule. It's kind of a legal slash ethical guideline Mm -hmm. where we have the ability, we don't have to, so that may be where you've gotten some of the pushback where someone just doesn't want to deal with the difficult parent yeah. or the parent who's denying services. Um, and then you finally find someone who, who is willing and it makes all the difference. I mean, it makes the biggest difference when you're thinking about how you are fighting for a human spirit. This isn't like a battle of the ego, right? And I think parents get caught up in the battle of the ego. Right. And there's a lot of wrongdoings. I mean, if you're withholding, you're obviously withholding because there's fear of things that will be exposed. Right. But my whole thing is that everyone makes mistakes. It's not holding hostage to that. It's saying, great, you can't figure it out. At the end of the day, this child needs therapy, Right. period. And at some point, I think we're all going to have to sit, I mean, be sitting at that um, decision of whether we need therapy, whether it's, it was introduced to me when I lost my mom. I didn't know what grieving meant. It doesn't have to be trauma, but I do feel like, like you said, once you sit down in the room, the thing you think you're struggling with, it opens up a can of worms onto where it's coming. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have the tools in my toolbox because there was all these things behind me that had happened that, like you said, you just push them away, you know? These patterns of behavior that someone on the outside who has the trained eye can notice these patterns. That's kind of my 
view as a therapist what is going on in this child's life or if I have an older teen or a young adult what happened here tell me more about when what is the earliest memory you have of anxiety what's the earliest time and we often find they're so linked and those early core memories shape the way a person responds to parents or other people in relationships the things that you didn't get from your parents as a child is what you want your partner to have Mm -hmm. as an adult and when we don't get those things it hurts us to the core and a lot of people who aren't self-aware haven't done therapy don't understand why am i having this reaction why do we always attract these type of people yeah let's take a look at it because i could probably link it back to something or experiences that happened to you, tyrannic or not, as a child. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, we use these words, not funny, but we use terms like anxiety. Mm-hmm. That is such like, there's a label with that now. And um, I would say that a lot of kids identify with that label of anxiety. Where like, when I look back to when I was a kid, I never heard that term ever. I didn't know anybody that experienced anxiety. Mm -hmm. And it's not that it wasn't talked about because you still know maybe on the social norm it wasn't, but when you're in a group, you, you know where people are at. You have that bestie or those friends. I never heard that. And so I do ask my husband a lot because he's going to those calls with these children that experience that. And you know, when he's going to a call like that, you're now talking children that are committed suicide or tried to attempted it and there was a lot of that in the last two years Mm -hmm. and you know he's he's even shared that as young as five years old so when i go back to thinking like now when you hear that term you have to like really almost like stop and make sure that you're like intentional with where that conversation goes whether you're just listening Um, because that is like amongst so many hearts of children right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether they know what it really is, it could be sadness, but it's termed anxiety, right? Right. It could be my parents aren't getting along, anxiety. Well, anxiety itself is a feeling. Mm -hmm. It's normal to feel anxious during times or things that might make you anxious. And then where it becomes an anxiety disorder is where it's happening without those triggers or you have a big response that's impacting maybe several domains of your life. It's definitely an overused term at this point and implicates more when you say, oh, I'm having anxiety, instead of saying, I feel anxious. So the way we talk about it too really impacts how our kids talk about it. But not to say that these kids are, are really dealing with some anxiety disorders and depression. Mm-hmm. And I think it, again, goes back to that avoidance, avoidance of naming a feeling, of talking about things. Yeah. What's mom going to say? Mom is already so stressed out. She lost her job. Um, you know, parents are getting a divorce. I can't tell her I'm depressed now. Yeah. One more thing for her to worry about. These kids are taking on these roles of caretaking for their parents' mental health needs, mm-hmm. taking on these responsibilities, seeing families struggle, seeing their parents struggle in the last two years with losing jobs, with not being able to get their unemployment money, with people dying from the virus, from other complications. I have a fourth uh, kindergarten class with four kids who have lost a parent in the last two years to COVID in one class. So the things that they are dealing with are really intense. Mm-hmm. And they don't feel like they can go to their parents sometimes yeah. because of everything they're seeing. Um, it's interesting how you say caretaking, how these children take it on for us. Mm-hmm. And I know that when my husband and I go to marriage therapy, which I also highly recommend, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that came up one time was like, when you guys can't sort your stuff out, and it rolls over into your son, you don't want to ever feel the responsibility of him having to sit in your chair over struggles that you've given to him because of what you couldn't figure out. That was like a slap in my face because in my head, I wake up from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, my life is like I'm laying it down for him. I'm doing these things. And yes, there's things that I do out of passion, but I feel like I've really, like that's my primary focus. 
where it would be, you know, there's times where he spoke to me and I don't know that he would know that that was his, he is the primary focus. Mm. Like in the busyness would be probably a conversation we have quite a bit Yeah, where it's like, you know, um, what that looks like in our home and how we cut back on that. And I've done a lot of trimming back over the years. Right. Well, I started in your 6 a.m. class, yeah. which no longer exists because he needed you and yeah. he, he was able to communicate that through his behavior, but also saying like, hey, I need you. Right. And you responded. I mean, I'd roll him into the studio. He had a question yeah. there, you know? <laughs> yeah. And although you go into business so you can do that, to me, that was a better option than taking him to childcare at six in the morning. Mm-hmm. He was with me. So we do these things. Where the, So as a mother right now, to the mothers that are listening, give yourself grace for the ways that you've pivoted to serve your child. Oh, yeah. Because when we start to compare our stories is when we get in trouble. I know in my knowingness that I did those things so that I could be with my son. And it was apparent when he went into kindergarten mm-hmm. that he was used to being with mama. He had a hard time. Yeah. You know, he was still running out of the classroom when the pandemic hit and he loved his teacher. He loved going to school, mm-hmm. but he, you know, I don't, it was, I think it was like around a hundred days. He, they understand when they start doing something that like, oh, she's leaving and she's not coming back for a little bit. Mm-hmm. It was almost easier. Like the first couple like weeks, four, four to six weeks was easy when he first started going. But there was something after that six week where he was like, yeah, no, I know when you leave now that you're not coming back for like, you know, (laughs) I figured this out. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's not that he didn't love it, but it was too long away from mom. Right. You know, he went from being with me all the time to like, that's a long time. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting because now we're in second grade. So I, I do like to talk about this because I was one of those mothers that had a child in kindergarten when COVID hit. Mm -hmm. So, um, he was one of those kids that sat underneath this desk when I was training clients and all my clients were under stress coming in here Mm -hmm. with a um, a piece of tape over the zoom and eating a cereal. (laughs) We just, we don't do electronics in our house really. So the whole fact to sit on a computer, it just was not, it was so foreign to my entire family, Mm -hmm. let alone him. He didn't like the faces looking back at him. It really bothered him. Right. And so he just didn't do it. Like he didn't do it. And I remember fighting it at first and like really wanting to go on the floor and cry. And I couldn't because everyone walking in was dealing with the same thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and just thinking like, I at least found peace knowing like I'm not alone in this. Right. So now we fast forward, Kaysen's in a different school, but we've got him a private teacher specifically for math because I feel like he missed the fundamentals of that. Mm -hmm. And that's one of those things where it's not by opinion, there is a foundation that you need to know for that. So we get him this teacher and again, the first couple times he goes, he's all right. And then all of a sudden he doesn't want to get out of the car. He's crying. I mean, he's emotional. I'm sweating. The last time I took him, he wouldn't get out of the car. It was like 20 minutes into an hour session, you know? And I'm thinking like, one, I'm embarrassed. Two, he's being disrespectful. And three, she's standing there. It's just awkward. So I walk over to her and I'm like, can you please come over to the car and just talk? She comes over and she goes, I just want to let you know before that this is the the age group that I'm seeing with my kids that is having the hardest time. Mm, yeah. And I said, why do you think that is? She's been teaching for 20 years at a school, St. Albans. So it's a yeah. high academics. Okay? Yes. She quit because her job changed with this. She didn't want to monitor the, the um, restrictions. She wanted to teach. Right. So we've got an awesome teacher is what I'm saying. And she knows students. She knows the education. She's academics. And she's like, because they didn't get the foundation. And then when schools opened back up, it was like, oh, it's two days a week, half days. And then they closed down. Then it was back to Zoom. And then it was open. And then they added a third. And then it was closed down. There were so many transitions. And when they first came back to school, she said they weren't even teaching. They were like, hey, six feet apart, put your mask on. Don't touch. Get behind the plexiglass. Yeah. That's what they were spending their time doing. Yeah. You and know? well, and socialization. I mean, kindergartens where you really learn uh-huh. those socialization skills, how to listen, how to be a good listener, how right. to be a good friend. And that didn't happen. No. And now you're in second grade and you're expected to know those things, even though we know in our minds, none of these kids learn these strategies, but we still expect them to behave as second graders. Yeah. That's a good point too. Yeah. But she was saying like, they have a hard time receiving the feedback on teaching because the teacher's expecting them to be 
at a certain place. And even that, they've lowered the standards of expectation. But there needs to be some kind of standard. And so when the kids are getting the feedback, they're just not used to the teaching aspect of it because they haven't really been taught. Mm-hmm. Like the educational piece. I'm saying this with a son that we pivoted and he's been in the school going and it's been normal for him. Yeah. So I'm not talking about one of the kids that is navigating the public school system. Right. I'm talking about he's a child that's there. in a private yeah. sector yeah. that hasn't dealt with a lot. I mean, anything that the public schools are and has a private teacher yeah. that is still, and he's not behind. He's, he's advanced in every area. Mm-hmm. My fear is that right here in the resistance is like having somebody be able to teach him where like the school he's in is self-taught more like Mm -hmm. and combining the two. And I think there's a sweet spot for that, for him to be, uh, to really thrive in his, his life. Right. Because he's having a hard time with the feedback on it, whether that's math or not. Yeah. And those traditional teaching things don't work for every child and even very bright, smart children kind of butt heads against the system sometimes. And that's, it's I remember the um like the gate program I don't know when I was in school we had gate and they were the gifted kids but when I was doing my internship interestingly enough that was the classroom that had the highest behavior issues which is just so interesting like are they bored what's happening but these kids are smart they also you know they learn differently they have these brains that can take concepts in different ways they're more self-directed they don't really necessarily need someone telling them what to do all of the time so those traditional methods don't work for everyone yeah we're really noticing that with Kaysen in in general and then too like you're saying with behavioral you know we went from not having any sports right to sports and then when sports no outlet no outlet But when they did open, it was like baseball. I'll give you that example. We got an email, you know, they have to fully be masked. So now these kids cannot identify coaches or, you know, with, they haven't seen these kids, right? School's closed. Everyone's on distance learning at this point. Right. So now when they do get together, obviously it's an outdoor sport, but they don't even know. I mean, a kindergartner, they don't really know anybody. And then you have coaches that have masks on and then parents that aren't allowed to get out of their vehicles that they're just sending their babies down, which like stranger oh dangers in my, that's a thing in our house, you yeah. know? So I was one of the moms walking my son down to it because he was not going to walk down on that field by himself with mom up in the parking lot. It just was not going to happen. And I'm, to be honest, glad that he wouldn't want to do that, that that's not comfortable for him. Mm-hmm. But I will say that it, it, it took him the whole season to warm up to that. I mean, I, I, I can't say that baseball was enjoyable <laughs> because it was emotional. It had nothing to do with the sport at that point. They went from being masked to not identifying who was on the team to then, you know, no parents to all of a sudden we're having games and the whole community is at the games and no masks. That's a lot for a kid to process. Right. It's, it's a ton. Yeah. And even with Kaysen's old school at Placer, you know, the principal having like, can't see her at school with a mask on to goes to church with us every Sunday with no mask on. It's very confusing. In in his classroom. Mm -hmm. And where he came home last week and was like, mom, I don't understand how come she can be in the classroom with no mask on at church, but not at school. Yeah. My frustration comes where you cannot, these children are struggling because I think a lot of us parents don't have answers for their questions. Their questions are bigger than how we can answer it. Right. I don't have an answer for him. Yeah. I just tell him, well, obviously she's showing where her heart is for her, you know, for kids in our community mm-hmm. and leaving at that. And then I'm like, I'm talking to him like he's an adult. Right. Exactly. That's what made me think what I thought of when you were talking was that we are, these kids are experiencing things that we like. At Kaysen's age, I was playing outside making mud pies, like with the hose. <laughs> I wasn't worrying about a pandemic or um, the emotionality of, of people watching me or not knowing who my coaches are and the masks or no masks. Um, no hugs. Right. No hugs yeah. for little kids. The other thing about masks is as I'm going and teaching in these classrooms, these emotional, emotional regulation curriculums, curriculum, um, a lot of it is about facial expressions. Mm-hmm. We're not able to see each other's facial expressions. So there is a lot of misunderstandings happening. The social skills have dwindled mm-hmm. naturally so because we don't know if someone's smiling. We don't know when they make a joke, are they laughing? 
or do they really mean it? What's happening? So fights are breaking out in high schools. I mean, there's a lot going on because we can't read each other. We don't, like, I, I'm telling the kids, be really expressive with your eyebrows. Look at this person's, like, all about the eyebrows and the eyes and looking at the situation because we can no longer rely on somebody's actual face, yeah. which that itself is huge yeah. to know that our kids are not able to read someone's facial expressions at second grade, third grade, because they haven't been able to learn those things. That is, I mean, Kaysen definitely, uh, tones and a voice mm-hmm. um, are a thing to him. And then, you know, you look mad. Are you mad? You know? Yeah. I'm like, no, you know? But I would absolutely say for sure. I yeah. mean, he learns a lot about the way emotions are through our facial expressions. Mm-hmm. And actually, we talk about the sound of our voice in my home. Mm-hmm. It's a big thing. You know, when dad comes home on day one from a shift where he's been dealing with the stuff he's dealing with, his tone and his voice is different than day two. Mm-hmm. And so we talk about tones. And I think it's important. You know, these yeah. kids don't get, a lot of them aren't getting that, mm-hmm. you know. And my son, Charlie, is two. I, I'm i a therapist, so I, I, you know, I talk with these things about him all the, all the time. But it started very, very young, even younger than he is now at age one yeah, you look like you're feeling really sad because you're crying and just talking to him about emotions. And now he'll come up to me if I'm crying, mommy's really sad or mommy's really happy or mommy's really angry. And he's two and he can articulate what someone else is feeling based on what they look like. And that's a skill that I think a lot more kids need to learn, especially now. So you know, when we read someone's face, we read the situation, we can assess for safety too. Absolutely. And safety and anxiety and control, those are all related. And if we feel like we have no safe, we can't assess for safety, we can't control the situation, I don't know how to act here. And these kids are so anxious with all of those aspects at play. I went to the mall and it's, I don't, I don't leave my bubble really, but I went and I had Kaysen with me. And what you just said was, I didn't feel safe walking into the mall with, because people are masked up. There's people that are doing these where they're going in and just robbing places. Right. You drive up now, you don't know. I mean, you can't, you can't tell anyone apart. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you see all the, the police officers heavily at the entrances of Nordstrom's for instance, I was like, God, I don't even feel like a good mom taking him out right now because I can't assess the situation. Mm-hmm. I can't look around and be aware of my surroundings right now. Yeah. And um, I remember we walked in and we walked out quickly because it made me so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think a lot of these things we're starting to normalize too. We're not talking about it, but like I did feel funky the rest of the day. My gosh, you can't go do the simplest things right now. For me, feeling Mm -hmm. safe is a big thing. And when I don't feel like that, I'm assessing the the situation, me, the person I'm with, whatever is making me feel like that, I'm asking why. And if you've got my son with me, you can bet I'm like breaking that down and I'm responding quickly to the environment Mm -hmm. to change it because I don't want it to overflow into him. Right. And you as a self-aware person who's been through therapy and understands yourself and your reactions you can relate that and i'm thinking about all of the families and the kids who don't have that who are acting out the parents who don't understand why the teachers who don't still don't get it either look at what we've been through it makes sense that your their class is wild right now because yeah they can't assess for safety but also everyone's still wearing masks are we safe should we be here what's happening and and then they can't even really engage with their friends in a normal way. They can't control their situation. That's just a huge recipe for disaster, really, for a crisis. There yeah. really is a mental health crisis. I have a lot of right clients now. that came in when school first started this year and said that their kids cried knowing that they had to put a mask on to go back to school. So I feel like mm-hmm. summertime must have felt pretty normal for the average family yeah. in regards to the way they were living. And then the reality check of going back to school and having to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. But then it escalated quick from there where mommy, you're at home and you get to go do whatever all day long because they've been in this routine with mom or dad. And they've seen that mom and dad don't have to wear a mask anywhere that they're going. 
but yet they have to wear a mask to go to school all day. And so then these children asking their parents, well, you don't have to wear a mask all day. How come we have to? Yeah. And then conflict, frustration, mm-hmm. aggravated, all these things that neither one of them know how to deal with those emotions in that moment. Right. Where then you see the parents feeling guilty and then maybe they respond back, I'm not making the rules. I've, I've watched I've watched clients do that where I'm like, they're valid. That's a valid statement. Yeah, just wear your mask. Everyone's doing it. Yeah. Just go for it. But you're not doing it all right. day, right? Mm-hmm. And so... It is an opportunity to say, to help the, the child understand their feelings, to talk with them about it, and just to explore more about, say, hey, well, how does it make you feel? And how do you feel safe? Like, what is it about the mask? Let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does seem unfair. You know, what do you think your responsibility is if everyone else is doing it? You yeah. know, talking about those things can help a, a child feel more like it's my decision or they have some sense, say, at least, if they can have their feelings validated. Yeah. But by saying everyone's doing it, just get over it. We have to do it. Suck it up. It's true in a sense, but it invalidates the child's feelings. And there's so many of those opportunities a day to just get eye to eye with your child and to say, tell me how you're feeling and how it makes you feel. I want to hear if there's something I can do, I will help you do it. Yeah, And that is so powerful. So powerful. So moving through this, and obviously we could sit and talk about this forever. There's so much to talk about, and I would love to have you come back. You know, when Tess could be back in here and, and really dive into yeah, this get more. Turning. Yeah, because I do think that anytime you open up a conversation like this, you know, you go back and you process, and you're like, oh gosh, we could have gone there. So I would love for you to just mm-hmm. jot down some things after you leave on another conversation. But I do want to spend a little bit of time about the opportunity to create your own practice again, because I think that that is big in so many ways. One, because you could operate it the way you want to and you feel called to versus like being told how to do it. Um, you can control your workload. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason people go into business is to create freedom in their lifestyle mm-hmm. and um, you know, not have that bondage to someone or someone else's dream or work right. schedule or time, you know, timelines, all of the above. And so obviously there's plentiful. <laughs> there's plenty. There's Me, plenty yeah. of clients out there for you. And I I know that, you know, we need more Haley's <laughs> that are answering that call and saying yes. Do you feel like you'll, you're you going to do that again in 2022? Is that something you feel called to? Yeah, I mean, I it's just uh, something that's been in the back of my head that I can't get rid of. And what stops me, I think, is the the guilt of leaving the thousands that need me, although I have been feeling really ineffective, really an inability to manage the demand. And um, before when I did my practice, it was for others. And it was all about how can I be there for other people? But that led me down a path where, well, what about Haley? And so now that I'm rebuilding that, I can more clearly see the freedom that I would be able to have, the life I'd be able to create with my family. And while still making a huge impact, maybe even a larger impact for a smaller amount of people, but the level of intervention I'd be able to provide for those children, those families would have a ripple effect. And yeah, it's just something I'm thinking about. And it's a huge risk. to leave uh, a position that does provide financial security benefits, the retirement schedule of a school year is great. Um, So, you know, it's one of those things where it feels scary, but it also feels like by not doing it, I'm not exercising my potential and not exercising your potential leads to anxiety and depression and burnout, which is honestly where I've been. Yeah. And am I really serving anyone right. when I'm feeling that way, let alone myself and right. my family? Yeah. You know, I think all all signs are pointing to yes. Absolutely. Um but yeah, it's a it's a risky move that um I don't know. You know what I always say, because every every time, I mean, I did it, right? I left corporate and opened my yeah. business. And 
Um, I love the sense of being able to say, I did do a hustle. I mean, this was a side hustle for a long time. Don't get me wrong, but I never felt called to it full time Mm -hmm. until I, you know, I got pregnant with my son and then, you know, I had a baby younger in life. And so I didn't want to have to make those same sacrifices Mm -hmm. being older. I wanted to be with him more. And for me, I felt like once I had him, I felt called out of having to do the both hustle, two mm-hmm. hustles. Yeah. <laughs> and just like go into what really what my calling was. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like when you enter that lane, when you say, you know what, the stable, the stable paycheck and the benefits, I didn't work backwards. Now I always tell people, take that number and work backwards and how many clients is that? Because mm-hmm. I think you'd be surprised how it's not really yeah, that many. I did that and it's not as many as I thought. Right. Um, another another tempting thing. The, that makes all it the practical. signs are there. Yeah. 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 If you take your, like to replace my income and also purchase benefits and all the expenses that come with it, yeah. it's pretty doable. Yeah. And you're, you know, you do things conservatively, like you're going to come out and be surprised. I mean, with Winks, I was always in the positive. Mm-hmm. I never had a month where I was in the negative mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. Did I have seasons where I worked more than I wanted to? You don't go into business for yourself if you don't expect to put hustle. You right. hustle in the job that you're working for someone else's dream. Mm-hmm. Be prepared to hustle in the job that you're doing for your dream. Right. You know and what, and what draws me in too is the ability to reset to set boundaries for myself and I'm the one kind of in the driver's seat where I could say, you know, that doesn't work for me and I don't have to explain myself. This doesn't work for me because I need to be home for my son and I don't have to tell anyone that that's just my schedule that I've made. Um, so when I think about it, it excites me when I think about it, I feel at peace and I also think about the name of my business and when you were talking, it reminded me that too of what's going on with our children right now. And my business name is Restoring Light Counseling Center. Mm. And it gives me chills talking about it because I think a lot of us have seen that light dim mm. in all of us, but especially our children. And if I could create a place where myself, maybe other therapists are working and it's a place where families could go knowing they do quality work there. And I know if I could get in, that I could get help for my kid and see my kid flourish again. Mm -hmm. Even if it only happens once, like that's it for me, you know, that, that really fills my bucket all the while creating freedom for my family. Again, very tempting. We just have to get the husband on board (laughs) because he's the very logical, practical. He also owns, we own a small business already. Um, He owns a game store. So you know, two people hustling, doing the small business thing, you know, I will tell you, I don't know where it came from, but during COVID, obviously small businesses were impacted negatively, but the ones that, um, did what they felt like they were called to in that season Mm -hmm. have broken records. He started last July and he has moved into several bigger buildings, just exploding, but bursting at the seams, ready to move again. Wow. Um, he just knew this was the time. This was it or not. And we went for it in that season and wow. so glad we did. Yeah. He's got employees and just a really well-known place in, in his community. Yeah. And so... That's also inspiring too to see. Absolutely, you're watching it firsthand. You have a front row seat to somebody that's doing that. And you know, the thing in entrepreneurship is that if you sit on anything for too long, you'll talk yourself right out of it. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to get into action and just do it. Mm -hmm. And if you work your numbers and they make sense, Mm -hmm. it's not, you know what your hustle looks like. You know what I mean? You Mm -hmm. know what your investment's gonna be. Mm -hmm. And so there's nothing to question here. You're already doing that. You're just not getting you're not getting the withdrawal from it, right? You're not, the deposits for yourself are not in the, in the positive, you know? And so you do the same thing, but you're doing it for yourself. It's going to be, it's going to be wonderful. Your impact though. And I think that's important is that in your job specifically, the impact that you have is necessary and needed. Mm -hmm. And if you're seeing people and not being able to have an impact because of the environment or because of, um, 
you know, the way that you can and cannot do things, mm-hmm. then it is like, is it effective? Is there a better way to do this where you could be more effective? Exactly. You know? The and pressure. Fulfilled. Right. The, the pressure of the amount of work and feeling like a very small fish in a large pond, yeah. or I say a salmon swimming upstream is what I feel like. And I'm really not accomplishing much is what it feels like. Yeah. And again, as a therapist, as a person going into this field, I didn't get into it to, you know, be a millionaire. I, I got into it because I care about other people and I want to see other people succeed and, and especially working with kids. Um, and and being able to do that less and less because of the demand is, you know, it breaks my heart. It makes me sad. It makes me feel full of anxiety and, mm-hmm. and has led to a lot of burnout. So definitely, definitely persuading me (laughs) to get back into it and to why not be able to make an impact, but also impact myself and my family. And what a legacy for Charlie, you know, my son. Well, and for Charlie to have a mom that comes home fulfilled and not drained. Yeah. I mean, that's two different, completely two different spirits that Mm -hmm. he gets. And, you know, I think I just posted something like on social media about this, like we can do all the things. We can. We can mm-hmm. do all the things, whether it's in the season of Christmas where we're creating the perfect. Mm-hmm. But our children don't remember all those things. They remember how we responded, mm-hmm. how we how we made them feel, <clears throat> the joy we carried. And so I, I feel like sometimes if we just went back to simplicity, mm-hmm. right, it would be easier for us to make those decisions. We overcomplicate it. And that's why I said so many people sit right where you are and they'll talk themselves right out of something that they're called to do. Yeah, and uh, an analogy I've I've thought of and and talked to friends about. It's hard to take your own advice though. Is mm-hmm. where you know there's an analogy of like filling your own bucket, right? Fill your bucket first, but not that you can take from your bucket and fill other people's cups, but that your bucket is so full that it overflows onto other people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you've said something similar too, where it's just you're able to reach more and more effectively when you feel whole and fulfilled yourself than if you're taking from yourself mm-hmm. to give to other people. There's no nobility in that. And it's really hard as a person growing up and, and as a professional people pleaser that just, just to make that shift makes all of the difference. Yeah. This goes to every everything I apply this to everything and I've said this to you before too and in our classes is that whether it's business whether it's your marriage whether it's your children whatever it is at some point your health will be the only thing that matters Mm -hmm. it will be and a lot of times people don't make that their number one until it's they're faced with an illness or they're faced with a body that just can't sustain what they're doing because they were never good to it Mm -hmm or a mind that they never stimulated or an emotional state that wasn't healthy where we're in positions now where if you're called to it, do it like, because it impacts at the end of the day, your health. Mm -hmm. And we are taking on so much more of a workload of stress with like that, like you said, the reward or the reach not being why we're doing it. I can speak to that just for my husband, the way that their job has changed the job he used to do prior to this and the job he does now they're two different jobs. Mm. They're recruiting two different people now. You know wow. what I mean? Yeah. And so I watch the decline in excitement in my own home, and it makes me so sad. But the sooner we're uh, uh, able to identify those things in every season, there's going to be a lot of grieving in this season mm-hmm. for old traditions, way of life, roles and jobs yeah. are changing. But let that be known that that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It can mean that you're leveling up in the season, that you're being elevated in the season, that you're being called out of something in the season and being called into something better. Mm-hmm. And for you, I just, it's on you. It's always been on you. Um, I think you got a taste of it when you started it. Yeah. And when you come back into it, if you choose to, it'll just multiply. Mm-hmm. And you're going to continue to have conversations like this that inspire what you need inspired inside to actually put it into action. And for me, that's the exciting part because every entrepreneur stands where you're at scared to do it. It's like a huge leap to take. And I have a lot of wonderful people like yourself who are encouraging me, just take the jump, take the leap. Um, But those, 
those quiet little voices in the back of your head get you or if you are inactive for so long like you said it yeah prevents you from acting but that community that you surround yourself with being back here Mm -hmm. I didn't have that thought to restart my business until I came back here Wow! because I I was kind of hiding away from all of the feelings all the things I had been through this year and when you get back around people who are living out loud like you say living Mm -hmm. things out and and communicating your feelings and being honest it just awakens something else in you all of those other voices quiet down yeah and you're like well how can i what can i do for myself to live right. like that or how can i take care of myself so i can even have those thoughts mm-hmm. you know that never would have come out of me again i was yeah. i was done wow yeah i've said this quite a bit and i gosh this entire year is um for so long, I've heard people say, just move the mountain in front of you. Mm-hmm. And if you're anything like me, you're like, mountains don't move. Like that doesn't even make sense when I'm in emotional struggle. Like move the mountain when you can't move mountains. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like the Lord one day was like, climb the mountain. It was put there for you to climb. Mm-hmm. It's yours. Claim what's yours. Mm-hmm. And it just moved me so much to my core that I was like, that's like the word going into 2022 Mm -hmm. is claim what is yours. Right. Claim what is yours. But also you can't get rid of the mountain. The mountain is still there. You have to accept it as part of your journey, but you can go over it. You can get through it. You can acknowledge what you're dealing with and how you're feeling and still move forward. It's both and those things, not either or. So that's a really great reminder there are these mountains yeah we've overcome many already there are more to come yeah and we're made like I always say when that thing is in front of me that's like oh man you know I'm like I was made to climb that mountain Mm -hmm. I'm made for this Mm -hmm. that is different than saying oh my gosh I'm never gonna get through this Mm -hmm. how can I get out of this we're always trying to sidestep it right Mm -hmm. one's encouraged and there's so many blessings in that hard climb that make our character what it is and build us in ways that we need for that next season that we're being elevated into, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so I don't think until you've had that mountain climbing moment that you really get it, you just have to trust the process. And I think that's the hardest part. Right. It's just trust the process, you know? Surrendering to surrender. Yeah. what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. So as we wrap this up, and I do want to revisit and get you back on here and get yeah. Tess in here and have a follow-up to this conversation, but for all the people listening to this right now that um, feel that isolation and that struggle and are worried about their kids, specifically from where you've sat and been able to see things differently than us, what is a word of encouragement that you could give to us? Oh, man. Everyone is in the same boat. Uh, we are all working through this together. We are all climbing this mountain, like you said. Um, but what we see, what we hear from people might just be their highlight reel. No one's doing it all. Um, and just being there, being present for your kids, for your family, having those conversations about thoughts and feelings and validation go a long, long way. Mm. Just knowing what's going on with your kids is the most important thing to prevent um, to prevent anxiety, depression, suicide. All of these things are happening under our noses and families having no idea. So it's very important to create an environment where your child feels comfortable mm-hmm. coming to you. Even if you're going through something, they know I can go to mom, I can go to dad, I can go to Aunt Susie and, and mm-hmm. talk to somebody. Uh, so important. That's good. And I know there's going to be people that want to reach out yeah. and get your services. Mm-hmm. And um, so how can they find you and how can they connect with you? Oh, goodness. Well, I have um, an Instagram, Restoring Light CC is my handle and i have a website also restoringlightcc.com um i guess that means i'll be back in business but um also just for advice for um or directing you to appropriate services i do work primarily with children some young adults so ages four is actually the youngest i've seen but 
it's a little young (laughs) ages four to 21 yeah and then I do work with families too sometimes there's just a family struggle or the the child is the person experiencing a lot of distress but there can be tweaks in parenting strategies or family dynamics that can help alleviate the situation or mm-hmm. linkage to other resources too so i'm happy mm-hmm. to be a resource for anyone listening yeah that's so good and everyone that's out there i just want you to know like kaylee said you know remember that that mountain in front of you is there and that you are equipped to climb it it is not there to discourage you it is not there to silence you it is not there to um, take your dreams away from you it is there to give you and equip you with everything that you need that you're being called into. I do think that this is the season of being elevated. If you don't have a mindset for being uh, someone that wants to level up, find new people. And I really, 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 really believe that 2022 is about claiming what is yours. So if you feel like you've lost a lot in this last season, Um, You know, there's a perspective change there. I think there's an excitement going into this year. And I think you better link arms with people that are going after it this year and saying, you know what? Everything I've lost, I'm claiming as mine this year. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to see a lot of cool breakthrough, a lot of um, adventure in this season, restoration and healing. Mm -hmm. And we all need that collectively in our homes and in our communities, in our workplace, in our families, in our marriages. And so I really love this conversation with you today. I can't wait to have you back on with Tess. And uh, hopefully we'll be having some conversations about you reopening your practice. (laughs) We'll see. Stay tuned. Stay (laughs) tuned. All right. Thanks, y'all.